God was preparing humanity for Christ's entry into this world, and preparation is what we're looking at over the course of these four weeks together in the Advent season. Good morning. Love for you to take your Bibles at this point. We're going to be turning once again to Luke because in this first chapter we've developed our four-part series, God's Christmas Preparations. And here now we see God preparing the heart of Mary for what's about to take place as Jesus Christ, found within her womb, is going to enter into this world to save us from our sins. So now picking up where we left off last week, beginning in the 28th verse of this first chapter of the book of Luke, we find these words that in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. And may it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. What rich words that I think can minister to our hearts. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. Thanking you, Father, for who you are, how you're working. Praise you for those that were involved in the preparations of the women's brunch yesterday. Minister to them. I know that some of them are most likely weary, but it's a good tired. It's a good tired whenever we're doing things that honor you. Bless them and thank you for them. Pray your hand upon tonight as people gather together to in a time of fellowship and singing, honor you. Minister to the needs, I pray. In these three services this morning, what we're asking is that you're honored. Your word is taught faithfully. The worship is a sweet aroma to you. 
We're asking, Father, in these moments together, warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. Because again, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. We're praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. Rick Rescorla had a preparation plan in mind. Long before 9-11, he predicted that planes would hit the Twin Towers in New York City and that Osama bin Laden would be behind it. Rick Rescorla. His story is told on the History Channel. He was the head of security at Morgan Stanley Bank. And he had developed an evacuation plan for that bank in preparation for what he thought would come. But you see, the officials, those that were his supervisors in the bank, treated it lightly. Some of them even thought that he was mad and basically discarded his recommendations and his preparations. But on September 11th of 2001, American Airlines Flight 11 hit the World Trade Center Tower, number one, at 846. Rick Rescorla ignored the building official's advice to stay put And he began the orderly evacuation of 2,800 employees on 20 floors of World Trade Center 2 and an additional 1,000 employees elsewhere in the buildings. Rescorla reminded everyone that God would bless them, and he sang such songs as God Bless America and other songs over his bullhorn to help evacuees stay calm as they left the building. Rescorla had most of Morgan Stanley's 2,800 employees out of the buildings by the time United Airlines Flight 175 hit the World Trade Center number 2 at 9.07 a.m. Rescorla had a preparation plan. It was in place. It was ready. But you see, the majority of people simply discarded it overlooked it, neglected it. Now, God has a tremendous preparation plan unfolding in these verses. In the mindset of a Caesar Augustus in Rome, he has now planted the idea that it is time to issue an edict that a census needs to be proclaimed throughout the Roman Empire. And so population bases will be moving and shifting from one setting to another, going to their hometowns to register for the sake of taxation, among other reasons. 
Meanwhile, not only politically, but also relationally, there is within the womb of an elderly woman by the name of Elizabeth, a child who will be known as John the Baptist being brought into this world. Zechariah, her husband, who is a priest, will pose a question that demonstrates a lack of faith. But what God is doing is that he is now in his preparation plan, politically, relationally, and now within Mary, physically, bringing the pieces of this complex puzzle together in a timely way so that Messiah would enter into this world. I want to look with you this morning at three aspects of this preparation plan. What I want you to see is that God is at work. And when people tend to push his promises or his plans off to the side, God still is at work, whether people are prone to believe or not, to fulfill his purpose for his glory. Three aspects of this plan. The first one we're going to develop as it flows out of verse 26 to 28. Then the preparations for Christ's birth. I want you to notice with me now, notice how, number one, God's presence is assured. And your target and my target is the last phrase in verse twenty in verse twenty eight, which reads, The Lord is with you. Now let's begin here and work this through because we are now informed that it's the sixth month. And the sixth month of what whom? And the answer is it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You see, God has perfectly timed it so that the forerunner to Jesus would enter this world strategically, timed just enough in terms of the closeness to one another, and yet at the same time the relational proximity to one another, so that John the Baptist would have a clear understanding as to the context by which Jesus Christ would come to minister. God sent the angel Gabriel. Now, Gabriel's been very busy. Busy man. Busy angel, frankly. Because he has just been off to Jerusalem to make a similar announcement to Zechariah. You might remember last week in chapter 1 that Zechariah poses this question to the angel in verse 18. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Now listen. Anyone who can say the Lord is with you has got to move from the abstract to the personal dynamic of understanding the significance of God's presence. Gabriel will say to Mary in verse, in verse 28, the Lord is with you. 
Yet you and I are informed that he said to Zechariah in verse 19, I stand in the presence of God. You ever drawn a line between those two verses? And seen the connection? Now, as he says this then, he has moved beyond the, the sphere of religious influence in Jerusalem, where everybody thought that what was happening religiously had to be in Jerusalem. But as Francis Schaeffer would write, no little people, and no little places. And now Gabriel moves to a setting to minister to a person overlooked in the eyes of the general population, but a direct gaze from heaven into the soul of Mary is the reality of this story. Gabriel finds this young lady, most likely between 13 and 16 years of age. And you and I are informed here in the very next verse that she's a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now, the fact that she's a virgin is part of God's preparation plan. Because he had said eight centuries earlier in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, that in this messianic movement, this one would be born of a virgin. What God is doing right now is that he, within the womb of Mary, is putting together a preparation plan to save you and to save me from the penalty of our sins. Because with this one born of the Holy Spirit, that means then he would be 100% God. Yet this one born of Mary means that he would be 100% man. Two natures within one person strategically positioned to go to their cross to die for our sins. And God has been prepping and God has been preparing now. And so he sovereignly intervenes within the womb of this young lady who's a virgin, but furthermore, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. And notice thus far, she is not even mentioned by name. Joseph is. They are pledged. It's called a betrothal. And in Jewish circles, a betrothal was a prelude to the consummation of the marriage It's where a bridal dowry was exchanged and so forth, and it was something more than a mere engagement. They were considered married in the eyes of the culture. It was a permanent commitment, you see, awaiting that final point when the bridegroom would come for the bride and take her back to what would then be a week-long marriage feast before the relationship would be consummated, illustrating the whole aspect of Jesus Christ, his death, coming, 
to die sacrificially for his bride, the church, and then returning eventually, and then the consummation where everything is made new. All of that stands in the Jewish marriage picture as an illustration of our relationship to the great bridegroom himself, Jesus Christ. And now we find two natures within one person residing in the womb of this one who is pledged. They have not yet consummated the relationship. Otherwise, it would be biological, it would be humanity, but it would not involve divinity, and therefore the one within the womb would have a sinful nature. Do you see the preparation plan leading to the cross involved here? Interestingly enough, you and I are also informed that Joseph is a descendant of David, which means that God not only politically and physically and relationally, but also now, in the ultimate sense of the word scripturally, has introduced legally the line by which Jesus would enter this world He is of the line of David, of whom God had said that Messiah would inherit an eternal kingdom. And that's why when Jesus entered Jerusalem, people would be crying out and singing out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were uttering messianic truths. And now Gabriel is uttering a messianic So the angel went to her, and he said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, which carries with it the idea of unmerited favor. This is grace. She didn't put out her resume and say, As you consider virgins, would you put me at the top of the list? She didn't do X, Y, and Z in order to be able to achieve the status of bringing Messiah into this world. This is unmerited favor happening, and it is unexpected grace being provided. So now look very carefully at the unmerited favor when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. It's of grace. And look for those unexpected aspects of grace where God in his sovereign engineering may be putting the pieces of the puzzle of life together in ways that you nor I can comprehend. People you've been so burdened for to come to saving faith, let's say. They're well exposed to the gospel, but now it seems to be that they are out of your reach, but they're not out of God's reach because God can sovereignly bring someone else into their lives in order to share the good news in the most unlikely way, in the most unlikely settings where the truth will now penetrate and responsive faith will occur. And here now, Gabriel says to Mary, The Lord is with you. And there's rich personal authenticity here. 
because he was able to say to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. It was in his diary of January 14th in 1856 when David Livingston penned these words. Felt much turmoil of spirit in prospect of having all my plans for the welfare of this great region knocked over. But I have read that Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20. And then he added, It is the word of a gentleman of the most strict and sacred honor. So there's an end to it. I will not cross furtively tonight as I intended. Should such a man as I flee? No. I shall take observations for latitude and longitude tonight. And though they may be the last, I feel quite calm now due to God's presence. Thank God. And now what strikes me is that Gabriel takes stock of Mary's spirit, her soul, and knows what she needs to hear at this very moment. The Lord is with you. And I want you likewise to embrace that Christmas truth. That in the preparations for Christ's birth, notice with me how God's presence is assured in verse 26 through 28. But now there's a second aspect to this preparation plan. It's found in verse 29 through 33. Notice, second of all, that God's promise is fulfilled. In other words, he ties together his presence with his promise. And you and I are going to see how this promise plan unfolds in the verses to come. But right now, all that we are told in verse 29 is that Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Grace has a way of calming troubled hearts. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me, Jesus would say to his disciples. When they were feeling the tremendous anxiety of potential loss. If you're feeling this morning like tremendous anxiety due to either real or potential loss or you've been delivered some unexpected news somewhere along the way where you don't see how all the pieces to this puzzle fit together. Recognize now how God merges His presence with His promise. Gabriel sizes up her heart. Luke is very specific in what he informs his readers. Thus far, we are not given anything with regard to what Mary has even said out loud about being troubled of heart. Gabriel must be reading her heart. 
And likewise, in this Christmas season, it's very important that you and I look for ways to minister to troubled hearts. They need to understand grace. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. A classic phrase again and again and again found in the scriptures. You have found favor with God. That's the idea of grace, where fears are calmed, but now the explanation is given. Look at verse 31. You will be with child. I give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. The name Jesus, if we were to condense it, means simply Yahweh saves. God saves. So then when Joseph and Mary are calling Jesus in for dinner after playing baseball in the afternoon, they are calling out Yahweh saves. And do you see now how God, even in the naming, has put together his his preparation plan so that people could embrace the fact that there is no other name under heaven by which we are saved. It was not Joseph who named this child. This name is delivered to Mary via Gabriel from God. It is God the Father who names the child. And typically in Jewish circles, it was the Father who named the child. And so everybody must be wondering, well, then why didn't Joseph name the child? Two reasons. Number one, Joseph is not the biological father. Number two, God the Father is the ultimate father. Even in this, you see divinity tied together with humanity in the naming of this child. And now you think about some of you who were here yesterday are pondering, well, then when Jill Briscoe was sharing with regard to a particular young lady who sat down before her and was wrestling with the whole aspect of the various religions and spiritualities of this world and still had this unanswered question percolating in her mind, Who was that baby? Which I think in an increasingly post-Christian era, this needs to be explained and understood, not merely the name of the child, but the meaning of the name of that child, and how Bethlehem and Calvary fit together with the idea of that name, Yahweh saves. Helen Keller Never went to church in her early childhood. Deaf, blind, dumb. She didn't learn the story of God's grace until at a later stage. Where standing before a pastor one day, in the most simple of language, it was explained to her how God had sent Jesus into this world. As it was being communicated to her via Annie Sullivan, The face of Miss Keller now, the biography tells us, lighted up as she spelled into the hands of her interpreter, quote, I knew all the time there must be one like that. 
but I didn't know his name. Unquote. Explain the name. It connects Bethlehem to Calvary. And we see now the connection of the presence with the promise. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And you look at that phrase and you realize that God declares that God's, that David's son is going to be God's own son. And part of this promise goes all the way back to Exodus 4, where in verse 22 and 23, the whole nation of Israel, in fact, is referred to as God's son. And then in Psalm 89, verse 26 and 27, we're told, He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. And so when your local Jehovah's Witness appears at your doorstep and tries to argue that son means biological son, we now inform that person, and we start with the Exodus 4 passage and move onward, that it was a messianic term, not a biological term, that means first in preeminence, first in rank, first in privilege. And you look at this all the more, and he'll be great, he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Look what comes next. Gabriel Gabriel knows his scriptures, doesn't he? He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Look at this promise that was delivered to David 1,000 years earlier from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 and 16, if that can appear on the screen. And look for the forevers. And when your days are over, this is delivered now to David via Nathan from God. And you rest with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And now in his preparation plan, as Mary now takes to heart what the angel has said, can you see her processing this as Jesus eventually is dying on that cross? But it's to be forever. It's to be forever. It's to be forever. Three times stated. If she has put two and two together, she realizes there's a resurrection on hand. It's to be forever.
And you and I are awed at the promise of God. So when you and some family members head off to see The Hobbit, part two, sometime in this Advent season, well, you're well aware that towards the end of the book, there's a conversation happening now. It's a conversation between Bilbo and Gandalf. Don't you love Gandalf? He's, he is the epitome. He blends strength and mind, body and mind. Valent out on the battlefield and yet wise in what he says. And now Bilbo turns toward Gandalf and says, then the prophecies of the old songs have turned out to be true. Exclamation point. You see Gandalf now lifting his eyebrows. Of course, said Gandalf. And why should not they prove true? Surely you don't disbelieve Prophecies, question mark. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. And there's a forever to all of this, you know. Even here you have a foretaste of resurrection. So now what have you done so far? Well, you've tied together the aspects of God's presence and God's promise and this preparation plan. But there's a third aspect. Not only that God's presence is assured and God's promise is fulfilled, but that God's power is revealed. And you're going to see God's power here up front. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So that even at that baptism, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, will be uttered from the heavens. But Mary's got a question. How will this be, Mary asked the angel in verse 34, since I am a virgin? Now, why didn't he silence her lips from that point on like he did Zechariah? When Zechariah, in verse 18, asked the angel, Gabriel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Gabriel would say in verse 20, And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Always wait for God's proper time. What's the difference between Zachariah's question and Mary's question? Zachariah's question was based upon a lack of faith. Mary's question was based upon a lack of understanding. Zechariah was questioning that God could do this. Mary was simply questioning how God would do this. 
See the difference? Questions? Love being with the students in youth group on Wednesday night. Had a bunch of questions. It was Q&A time with the senior pastor, and well, I love them. They're all gathered together. Questions? Predestination or free will? Question mark. Answer? Yes. Is it possible to lose your salvation? No. What is the role of the Holy Spirit in the church? If only Eve ate the fruit and not Adam, what would have happened? Is God against gays? If a baby dies, where do they go? If God loves us so much, why does he let so many bad things happen to us? Why so much pain? If you were to become president, what's one change you would put into effect? What triggered that one? (laughs) What does the gospel mean to you? Jesus saves. Questions. But distinguish between the question of Zechariah and the question of Mary. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And now you have two natures in one person perfectly positioned to go to that cross to die for your sins. You see the complete preparation plan unfolding within this womb. He even gives her evidence. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. Underline this. Would you do this? For nothing is impossible With God. Got any impossibilities in your life happening right now? You've been saying, just can't happen. Just can't happen. Check out these verses. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah 32, verse 27. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Luke 18, verse 27. Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Got any impossibilities happening that God wants to produce a possibility out of? You see what has now happened here? God's presence is assured. God's promise is fulfilled. God's power is revealed. How do you respond to that? 
take Mary's lead. Two quick recommendations. Number one, I am the Lord's servant. Verse 38. Number two, may it be to me as you have said. Reading the account now, we are informed that Rescorla returned to the building to rescue others inside. Even though supervisors had rolled their eyes back over this whole idea of this preparation plan. It was so embedded in his mindset, he knew what to do after getting everybody out of the building. He returns. He returns to the building to rescue others still inside. He was last seen heading up the stairs of the 10th floor of the collapsing World Trade Center number two. His remains were not recovered. To this day, we're told, many felt so guilty and apologetic because they had neglected, if not rejected, what he had said and what he believed was about to take place. And part of the fact that he sacrificed his life for others. You see the preparations here? See how God's at work? This is your sovereign God. Let's stand together. Thanking you, Father, such a wonderful congregation. Tremendous people, but many of us are carrying various burdens. We need the various truths of these verses now to converge within our hearts. There's something here for every one of us to walk away with and implement into daily living. So, Father, now take these verses. Use our hearts because uh, you are preparing us to minister to others this week. And we want to take your preparation plan seriously. We'll give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.